Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. morning. Welcome into this holy place and this holy space. Whether you are gathered here in the sanctuary of the village church or gathered in your own place online, we declare this to be a holy space and a holy place. Let us be called together in worship then as we read responsively from the 63rd Psalm. O God, you are my God. I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. Friends, let us worship God. Emptiness and fullness quite often seem like they're totally opposite, but in the spiritual life, they're not. 
In a spiritual life, we find the fulfillment of our deepest desires in becoming empty for God. In confession, we are able to empty that part of us that blocks us from growing in Christ and giving to the world. Let's go to God now in confession. Eternal God, whose covenant with us is never broken, we confess that we have failed to fulfill your will for us. We betray our neighbors and desert our friends and run in fear when we should be loyal. Though you have bound yourself to us, we will not bind ourselves to you. God, have mercy on us, weak and willful people. Lead us once more to your table, and once more unite us to Christ, who is bread of life and the vine from which we grow in grace, to whom we praise forever. Amen. The moment of complete emptiness and complete fullness became the same when Jesus was on the cross. Even in the emptiness, he cried out, Father, forgive them. And we were restored and made whole and full. Friends, in the name of this same Jesus Christ, I declare to you, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. of Christ be with you. As we prepare to greet each other, we would remind our fifth grade and younger that your Sunday school leaders are waiting to greet you in the back. And uh, any kids that are older than fifth grade and up, we have a youth group that's meeting in the youth room even now. So let's turn and greet one another.
Friends, we'll take just a moment to share about what's happening in the larger life of the congregation as we are fed and nourished here in worship to do the work of the kingdom. Here are some of the ways that that's happening outside of worship. Our youth group is conducting a clothing drive for New Day Ministries. Over the next several Sundays, we invite you to bring clothing here to the church. Particularly, men's clothing is needed by that ministry. Uh, You don't have to raid your closet. I give permission to those of you who love to go shopping. Go shopping and buy some new clothes for someone else. Might be an interesting experience for you. On Sunday, the 2nd of April, we will have our annual spring concert here in the sanctuary. About 70 voices from our own choir as well as others from the community plus an orchestra will be presenting a couple of magnificent pieces of music. So put that on your calendar now, 7 o'clock, April 2nd. A bit later in the year, in late August, a group will be going to Kenya to visit with our mission partners there. If you'd like to see how God is at work in a very different part of the world, but still the same God and the same people of God, this will be an interesting trip for you. Give us a call this week at the church and we'll direct you to those who can help you sign up. I'm pleased to report... And I want to thank you for your generosity in our recent special offering to support our efforts in war relief in Ukraine, as well as earthquake relief in Syria and Turkey. The Ukraine offering has received now over $17,000. The earthquake relief offering now over $20,000. It's not too late to give to those special offerings. If you'd like to do that, please do so. But much of that funding is already on its way to help people out there. We are, of course, in the season of Lent, which means we are coming upon the season of Easter. And I'll note as well that on Saturday, April 1st, this is no fooling, we'll be having our extravaganza. That is for the children, for their parents, for their grandparents, for anybody who ever was a child, for anybody who still acts like a child. We'd love to have you come and join in this joyful celebration of Easter as we retell the story. Now, that's actually the weekend before Easter, so all of you folks going out of town for Easter have no excuse for not being at the extravaganza. We'd love to see you there. There is so much more to talk about, but we won't take time to do that because it is time now for us to signify, to symbolize, to memorialize, and to ritualize our dedication to God and to his purposes in our lives as we present to him our tithes and offerings. We invite you to come forward as you are led to the offering baskets on either side of the chancel here and to present yourself as well as your tithes and offerings to the living God. God bless.
Please be seated. We have heard our hearts lifted up in praise with music. And now let's come to God in prayer. So calm your hearts, put aside all the things that occupy the sacred space inside and listen for God's word. Let's go to God in prayer together. Creator of every moment and every space between, you drifting mist that brought forth the morning, Lord who moves us from the past and settles us in the present, spirit that compels us fearlessly towards the future. Lord, we walk gladly into your waiting arms for you have gone before us to prepare the way. So what could we fear? What circumstance would overwhelm you? What force could dare darken your light or hijack your intentions? We are convinced that there is nothing, nothing in all creation that refuses your voice and does not sense the bending knee in your presence. So God, allow this sweet old world a sacred sigh, a pause, a beat, a breath. Consent, dear Savior, to a sigh of relief, a sigh of hope, a sigh too deep for words. And God, even as we rest in your arms, secured by your grace, our hearts break for those who do not yet know, who have not yet believed, who sit quietly or loudly outside belonging, who do not understand their own belovedness. You keep us waiting. You, the God of all time, want us to wait for the right time in which to discover who we are, where we must go, who will be with us, and what we must do. So thank you, God, for the waiting time. You keep us looking. You, the God of all space, want us to look in the right and the wrong places for signs of hope, for people who are hopeless, for visions of a better world that will appear among the disappointments of the world we know. So thank you for the looking time. You keep us loving. You, the God whose name is love, want us to be like you, to love the loveless and the unlovely and the unlovable, to love without jealousy or design or threat, and most difficult of all, to love ourselves. So thank you for the loving time. And in all this, you keep us through hard questions with no easy answers, through failing where we hope to succeed and making an impact when we felt like we were useless, through the patience and the dreams and the love of others, and through Jesus Christ and his spirit, you keep us. So thank you for the keeping time and the loving time and the looking time, and the waiting time. Thank you, O oh God, that in this moment we have one voice to lift up to you in prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
A reading from the book of Jeremiah. These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the Queen Mother, the court officials, the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the artisans and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisa, son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom King Zedekiah of Judah sent to Babylon to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. It said, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage and they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let the prophets and the diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, only when Babylon's 70 years are completed will I visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you in exile. And now a reading from a letter to the Philippians. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but had no opportunity to show it. Not that I am referring to being in need, for, if, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The word of the Lord. Sarah, thank you for being with us today. I have to stand up here and talk a whole bunch, and so I don't get to focus on God except as I'm talking. But while you're playing, while they're singing, I'm focusing on God. Thank you. Friends, there's something rather odd going on here today. Think about it. Here we are, a few hundred folks gathered together in this room or perhaps online, and we are reading and we're hearing 
about some other folks from 2,600 years ago. Now, wouldn't you think that we would be more interested in hearing from folks today or maybe hearing some news about what's going to happen tomorrow instead of yesterday, especially yesterday so many days ago? Nevertheless, we are people who've discovered that back then has something to teach us about today and something to say about tomorrow. And so last week, actually, we began a journey together looking back at an historical period in the life of the Jews that we call the Babylonian exile. This is our focus during the season of Lent, to think about the events that led up to the destruction and the obliteration of the Jewish nation and resulted in a 70-year period of exile. 70 years is a long time, isn't it? How many of you would agree with me? Now, usually it's younger folks who think 70 years is a long time, and for some folks, 70 years is just a blip, isn't it? <laughs> Regardless, 70 years is a long time, but let's think about what happened in that 70-year exile. We noted last week that exile happened to the ancient Jews, and we are using that one historical incident and that one way of thinking about life, thinking about exile, to think about the way a lot of life goes for us. Exile happens all the time as life does not go the way we want it to go. But we also learned last week that regardless of whether life is going the way we think life should be going, still God is there in the midst of it all. Now there's a question that follows upon this observation and this remembering of this historical period for the Jews. The question is this. It's the question I think that was in their own minds. What do we do when stuff happens in life? What do we do when we find ourselves in exile of any kind? That's the question for today because we all find ourselves in exile and we have to do something with it. The prophet Jeremiah had heard a word from God that he shared with the exiles in Babylon. Jeremiah, one of the great prophetic names of the Old Testament, lived and prophesied in southern Israel during the time of the attack by the Babylonian Empire upon the Jewish Empire, and he lived and prophesied during the time of the exile. We think that eventually he was sent away for his own safety into Egypt. The great prophet Jeremiah. Now, I know a lot of people today 
don't know that Jeremiah was a prophet. They think that Jeremiah was a bullfrog, a good friend of mine. <laughs> Jeremiah, news to you, isn't it, Juan? There we go. Jeremiah was not the only prophet in Israel during this time. In fact, through all of Israel's history, there were all kinds of people who presented themselves as prophets of God, but you don't know their names and nobody knows their names because they were false prophets. All they did was tell the current king, the current leaders of the temple, the current intelligentsia and movers and shakers of Israel that everything they were doing was okay. Most of the real prophets would say otherwise, and they are the ones that we know about. Ezekiel, Isaiah, Micah, Jeremiah. They're the prophets we hear from because as time went on and as Israel lived its life, they realized that these were the true spokespeople for God. And so Jeremiah has a word for Israel that is the opposite, apparently, of the word that all the false prophets were speaking. All the false prophets were probably saying, guys, it's going to be okay. Next week, we'll overthrow the Babylonians. Within a month, we'll be back home. They might have also been saying, give up, we're done, we're history, let's find somebody else to worship. We don't have the words of those prophets, we only have the word of Jeremiah against those prophets, and what he had to say was the opposite of what they had to say. Jeremiah sent a message, a message from God, to the exiles in Babylon through messengers like Elasa and Gemariah. And it's the content of Jeremiah's message that turned out to be true, and it's the content that you and I want to focus on today because we've learned that whatever was happening back then is happening as well today. It happens in life all the time. First thing that Jeremiah says is that somehow, even in the midst of this tragedy of the exile, God is involved. Notice carefully the words that are there. God says to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile. Now, wait a minute. We thought it was the Babylonians, right? It was the Babylonians who conquered Israel. It was the Babylonians who raped and murdered and pillaged and destroyed the civilization of the Jews and carried the leading citizens, the powerful ones, the smart ones, the ones who would be a threat. They took them away. Weren't the Babylonians to blame for the exile? Yes, of course. But God says, I sent you into exile. Here's one of the great theological problems of all time that has never been fully resolved and will not be resolved today by 1130, so don't get your hopes up. At one and the same time, people of faith understand that bad things happen that are against God's will. Generally, we make them happen like the Babylonians did. But at the same time, we say that somehow God allows these things to happen. And so when something terrible goes on, 
something evil, something that contradicts God's plan for us, we look to God and say, God, why? Why is this going on? How is this going on? Because we trust and we believe that you are God. And if you are God, then you must be allowing this to happen. That's one of the great confessions of faith that's hard for a lot of people. How can God be good if bad things happen? And yet here, as in many places in Scripture, God takes the responsibility for saying, yep, I let it happen. You have to say more, though, lots more. And the more that God says through Jeremiah is that I will fulfill my promise and bring you back to this place, for surely I know. And by implication, you don't. (laughs) I know the plans I have for you. God has a plan. It is a bigger plan than our plans. It is a plan that will come to fruition. It is a plan that's bigger than all of the evil that exists in the world. And yes, it's hard to see. Yes, we would rather that there be a different way for God to act. In fact, all of us are really expert at telling God how he could do a better job, aren't we? But with the foresight that is generated by much hindsight, people of faith see that there is a God both behind and before and in and through all things, and God is working his way in the world. We begin to get a glimpse of how God's plan is working itself out as we understand that God's plan is to bless all people, not just the Jews, but all people. And in that day, in that moment, that includes the Babylonians. Now that part we don't like. God, how could you plan to bless the Babylonians? Those blasted Babylonians have blasted us out of the water and the last thing we want to do is bless them. But notice what God says. I have plans for your welfare, not for harm, to give you a future with hope. And then he says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. They're not in Jerusalem, they're in Babylon. How could God plan to bless the Babylonians? Well, remember the purpose of Israel. God had spoken to Abraham hundreds of years earlier. And God had said to Abraham, I'm going to make a special little chosen nation out of you. And my purpose in doing that is so that you can be a light to all the other nations, an example to all the other nations, so that all the other nations whom I love just as much as you will be blessed through you. God's plan for the nation of Israel, and now we believe in the church as the new Israel, God's plan for the church is not that we would build a a little island of blessedness that we can keep all to ourselves. No, we are meant to build an outpost of the kingdom 
from which people go out in order to bless the rest of the world. That's who we believe the church is. That's who we believe the people of God always have been, including during that time when the people of God seem to have been wiped out. God was doing something bigger than just letting Israel be fat, dumb, and happy in its own little cocoon. And so he pushed them out. And then he told them what to do in the meantime while they were in exile. How many of you are living in the meantime right now? How many of you are planning for something that's going to come? When I get taller, (laughs) you laugh someday, (laughs) right? In the meantime, when I finish this degree, when I find the perfect spouse, When I move where the weather is always magnificent, when X or Y or Z, then. But that's not what God says. God says, here you are right now. In the meantime, my plan for you is this. Build houses, live in them, Plant gardens, eat what they produce, take wives, have children, multiply there, do not decrease. The history of the Jews and the history of Christians is that throughout our existence we have faced persecution, we have faced dispersion around the world, we have faced challenges and problems that have helped us to grow. One of the things that we know from the exile is that many of the people came back, but many stayed in Babylon. And today, you can go to ancient Babylon, modern-day Iraq, and find Jewish families there. I have met some of them who trace their history to the time of the exile. You see, God's bigger plan (laughs) is that as people face the problems of life and are forced out into the world, they take God with them, (laughs) in a sense. They take their faith with them. This exile, this imprisonment in Babylon is not the end of their faith, but it's the spread of the faith and the spread of the way of life that God intends for goodness and redemption and renewal. And that's the life of the church. And so someone like Paul, for instance, 600 years after Jeremiah, Paul, whose life was rudely interrupted by the Savior and completely reversed in its focus and direction. Paul, who then entered into a life of resistance and trouble and imprisonment and eventually death. This Paul, learning from the history of his people, the Jewish people, learning from the teaching of his Savior, the Messiah, Jesus, this Paul would say, I have learned to be content 
in any and all circumstances. I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That is a soul that sees God involved in everything, a soul that trusts itself to a larger plan, a soul that is empowered by the God who himself could suffer and die only to be raised from the dead in order to fulfill a higher purpose. In 1957, one of the most popular magazines in the United States was Reader's Digest. How many of you still have a bunch of Reader's Digests somewhere? <laughs> there was a section of the Reader's Digest called Quotable Quotes. How many of you have read the Quotable Quotes section? Of course. A lot of good sermon material there. Well, in 1957, Alan Saunders, who was a very popular writer and journalist and cartoonist at the time, Alan Saunders was quoted as saying this. He said, life is what happens while you're busy making other plans. A lot of people think that John Lennon was the first one to say that, but it's not true. Sorry, Beatles fans. Life is what happens while you're busy making other plans. Yes. Life was happening to the Jews, whether they were left back in Israel or exiled for 70 years in Babylon. Life is what happenings, and God plans for life every day, a life of living, a life of growing, a life of flourishing, a life of blessing everyone around you, even, even your enemies. And so that's why we come at least once a week to remember this blessing, to acknowledge our exile, and then to celebrate the God who himself entered on the longest, farthest mission trip you could ever conceive. A mission trip of coming here to be with us. A mission trip where Jesus was exiled for a while, away from the beauty and joy of heaven to come into the messy world where you and I live to bless us and to welcome us into the presence of God here and now. Ministering in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I invite all of you to come to this table that Jesus has set for his family. That family includes everyone who trusts him, who believes in him, who wants to know him. As we come as a family, we're going to take this supper together in a particular way. The ushers are going to dismiss the folks that are seated in these two middle sections of the sanctuary. You're going to go this way and come down the center aisle and return by the outside. And you folks on the outer sides are going to stay seated and resting for a while until you're dismissed in the some way to come. You're going to take a piece of the gluten-free bread. It's all gluten-free. <laughs> and you're going to dip it lightly in the cup that is offered to you. And in that way, we're going to have a meal together. We're going to feast on the love of Jesus Christ. On that very night when that long mission trip was coming to conclusion, and Jesus was surrounded by his disciples. He lifted the bread and he broke it. 
And he said, this is my body broken for you. Whenever you eat this, remember me. And then in the same way, Jesus took the cup after supper. And he said, this cup is the sign of the new covenant sealed in my blood. Whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the saving death of the Lord Jesus Christ until he comes again. Come, let's feast together.
Will you please pray with me? Holy God, we thank you for these ordinary things, this juice and this bread that's made extraordinary by your presence among us. We thank you that there is a mystery that surrounds this table, even though it's a family table. We thank you that there is more than we know, more than we can see, more than we experience. And so all of life becomes a true adventure. We pray, God, that we would be worthy of the, this table. And you have made us worthy by your promise and by your sacrifice and by your victory. So we come humbly to you. We are embraced by you and we are grateful. And we thank you for all these things in the name of our Savior Jesus, amen. many of you have plans for this afternoon? Lots of luck. <laughs> Whatever happens, stuff happens, God is there, and you will have the opportunity through the strength that you have just received in this meal to bless other folks, and in blessing them, find your own blessing. Does that make sense? 
May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit bless and be with you this day and forevermore. Amen.